0: Hi, I'm David Kais, and I run R for the rest of us. You may think of R as a tool for complex statistical analysis, but it's much more than that. From data visualization to efficient reporting to improving your workflow, R can do it all. On this podcast, I talk with people about how they use R in unique and creative ways. Join me and learn how R can help you. I'm joined today uh, by three folks, two who are currently at and one formerly uh, from the Urban Institute, um, who work there and do a lot of parameterized reporting. So I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Williams, uh, Livia Mucciolo, and Sophia Syed. I am delighted to have you here and thanks all three of you uh, for joining. Maybe if we can just start out, um, I'll have you kind of one by one. Um, tell us your position at Urban, um, what you do there, and also kind of how you initially got into R. So maybe, Aaron, I'll have you uh, start
1: first. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here. So I'm a senior data scientist in the Income and Benefits Policy Center at the Urban Institute and an adjunct professor in the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University. And I work with the data science team here at the Urban Institute. It's really great because Urban does a bunch of great policy work in a bunch of different domains and I get to bounce around and wear a lot of different hats, and so I've worked a lot with the Tax Policy Center on data privacy issues, and that's how I got hooked up with them on this state and local finance initiative uh, in this sort of parameterized reporting with uh, Sophia and Livia.
0: Cool. Thanks. And maybe, uh, Livia, we'll have you kind of introduce yourself, and then I'll I'll come back to you in a minute to have you talk about how you got into R. So, Livia, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you do?
2: Yes. Uh, so I'm a research assistant at the Urban Institute, specifically in the Tax Policy Center. Uh, I've been there for almost two years. Um, and I kind of work across the board uh, within our center. So both on the federal tax um, micro simulator, where we analyze tax bills and provisions, um, and also on the state and local side, which is where these COVID pages are housed. Um, And I got started uh, through our uh, through this this project, <laughs> so uh, Sophia kind of pulled me in uh, after I started working there, and that's how I learned R. It was all on the job.
0: Wow, impressive! Um, great, Sophia. You wanna go
3: ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, David. Um, so I was a research assistant at the Tax Policy Center as well, um, and I similarly worked with the state and local finance initiative a lot, and also doing some of the federal tax stuff more broadly. I got into R. I took a class in college and my background was in economics and econ research geared towards policy. So the work that I was doing was more about like regressions and econ research things. And so my first exposure to parameterized reporting similarly was with this project. And I think that was like a testament to how flexible and easy to learn R is for so many things beyond just regression modeling. So that was a really cool opportunity, Erin. um, Pitched the idea of using R for the for that purpose, and learned a lot since.
0: Nice, that's awesome, Aaron. What remind me? When did you kind of first get into R, and how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so I studied economics in undergrad, and I took an econometrics class, and we learned Stata. And I got, uh, you know, not forever Stata license. And I graduated, and I had no money, and my Stata license expired. Uh, but I was really interested in this idea of working with data. I think it was actually my parents who had heard of this thing called R, and I should probably follow up with them and figure out how they knew about R. They said, yeah, it's free, and it's pretty popular, and I guess you could make cool data visualizations with it. And I was like, oh, it's really interesting. And so I learned through Coursera with Roger Pang and Brian Caffo and uh, all the people at Johns Hopkins uh, maybe eight years ago now. So it's... um At the time i had no idea of all the types of things that you could do with it and that's one of the great things about r is like you just keep figuring out new things to do with it
0: that's awesome yeah and i mean the so the book that i'm writing is tentatively called r without statistics and it's all about again like all the things you can do that people i mean people tend to think of r as you know data analysis and Mm -hmm. there's much more that you can do so um So, and I got connected to you all through uh, an article that you wrote on the um, Urban Institute blog about using our markdown to um, produce a set of reports. The article talks about two different reports, the um, state fiscal briefs, and then reports looking at the impact of COVID on on state budgets. Um, So let's focus on the latter, on the, the impact of COVID on the state budget reports. Um, can you, at a very broad level, um, talk through what it looks like to create these reports because you have to produce one for each state. So how does our, our markdown parameterized reporting work to be able to do something like that?
1: The, The main thing is there's a lot of different data sources that come into these reports. And as long as you have data structures where you have a variable where each row corresponds to a different state, then you can put together these R Markdown documents with parameters at the top um, where then you use the render function from the R Markdown package and you say, Virginia, render the R Markdown. You know, Vermont, render the R Markdown. And you just go through all the different states. Um, that's at the high level. But I think one of the really cool things about this specific implementation is like all the stuff going under the, on under the hood to pull data from APIs and clean it and visualize it. So maybe Sophia or Olivia can talk some about that.
2: Sophia, I think you could probably talk more about the process of, you know, how it was created. Cause so, um, to give some clarity, I joined into this project after the pages were more or less, you know, like ready. (laughs) Um, but, uh, kind of to go off of what Aaron was saying, um, I think when we first started creating it and determining what we wanted to include in them, we made sure to kind of first create a general template of, um, the types of data that we would like to include the general text kind of like boilerplate language that would fit um for you know across all states and that we would be able to have data for all of them um so that was kind of the like first basis of it and that's i think what allows it to be parameterized um but yeah and then it's just a matter of like rendering and, and iterating through those scripts
3: yeah and more like at a high level of what why we did what we did and why we used R. I I think as the pandemic was starting, a lot of our colleagues were tracking different things that were happening in the states with like unprecedented unemployment insurance claims in one area and then governors doing different things with regards to lockdowns and different public health mandates. And we suspected that there might be a relationship between what the policy decisions were and what the economics were and the different relationships between the industrial makeups of states and who are their workers and what their industries are if they rely on tourism and things like that and how that might be playing out in terms of unemployment and all these different things. But we needed to bring all that data together in a cohesive way for people to be able to understand how it all fit together. And so our markdown provided the perfect way to have a cohesive set of information, all feeding in with each state being an observation and having all these different variables and a very clear way to visualize different relationships.
0: So I'm guessing, I mean, tell me if this is wrong, but I'm guessing there are kind of, it sounds like there are three like phases. One is gathering the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you do that, you know, like an uh, R script or a, like a series of R scripts is what I'm guessing you do. You go out, you gather all that data, wrangle it, get it into consistent formats, save that then you have an r markdown document which has the parameter the top and then you ha- finally have a separate r script file where you actually have the code that renders all of these reports is that is that an accurate summary of your overall process it's exactly right okay cool um so so when i look at this all i see is a single website or a single, you know, page on the website. But under the hood, it's actually not that. Like we talked about before, this is actually being served from somewhere else. So talk about the process of serving the content in a way like integrating it within the the urban website and how that works.
2: So um through our end, so and by ours I mean uh mine, Sophia or Aaron's end. Uh, We would um, basically, you know, render these files and we would um, create HTML outputs. Um, And so once those are created for each individual state, um, we would then send it off to our comms team at Urban and they would pull in the HTML files and upload it to the actual page on the website. So that step, I truly do not know how that happens. But we use GitHub to kind of uh, track our changes and also to send um, these updated HTMLs to the people that then upload it. Um, Is that kind of what you were asking or?
0: Yeah. And even, so my understanding from reading your article is the state fiscal briefs, you actually, so for example, if I click on Oregon, say you actually copied the HTML into the CMS from the, the rendered reports. Whereas with this, I mean, and I can even look at the, the code to see, but I, um, I think I checked this before, um, you actually have, yeah. An iframe here where you are serving this. Um, it doesn't actually look like it. get, this isn't necessarily directly from GitHub, I'm guessing you then somehow push these from GitHub, or um, is that right, to somewhere on the urban website, and then this is actually embedded. So, for example, I mean, I'm guessing it would work if I replaced North Carolina with South Carolina. Yep. And so that's how you make, like, you have, you know, in a folder somewhere on the urban website, like 51 of these, or however many. Is that is that right? And, that, and then they're embedded?
1: Yeah, that's 100% correct. And I think there's a historical reason for why the process differs a little bit. So I think originally for the state pages, the intention is to or was to update them maybe quarterly. And so, you know, copying and pasting HTML code for 51 states quarterly, it's not the most fun thing to do, but it's manageable. When the yeah. pandemic happened, we wanted to have, I think, to be useful, a much more frequent flow of information. And so we wanted to have something where someone's not copying and pasting something 51 times every two weeks, which I believe is about how often the COVID pages are updated. And so that's why this iframe system uh, came about. Just one other thing to focus on. We've we've hosted pages in a bunch of different ways, PDFs, GitHub pages, clearly with the CMS, with iframes. Uh, And this is probably the most mature process that we've used. In this case, it's actually pulling in all the CSS from the like urban.org. So if the CM, if the, sorry, the CSS evolves on the urban end, um, the pages should evolve to keep up with that. And so when Sophia was developing um, these pages and I was helping her, you know, we tried to basically emulate the CSS in our studio to match the urban website. We developed one version you know, to sort of see what it would look like on the website. And then we finally iterated it and, and moved them all into this sort of iframe environment. So are you saying
0: like, does this then not have any CSS on its own and it just inherits from the urban website or you created CSS that matches what's on the urban website?
1: Yes. So with, we, <laughs> I think we have CSS locally so that we know what it looks like. And uh-huh. I believe it's actually embedded in the HTML by default. We have a script that we run that's called trim HTML. So, you know, you you knit your document and it's, you know, 10,000 lines of HTML code with CSS and JavaScript all jumbled in there. And basically, this trim HTML function goes in and says, give me exactly lines 108 to 8,749, because that's all that, you know, our communications team wants. That's what we give to them. And then, sort of, everything else is then handled by the urban.org website. Gotcha, and I think it's cool. I mean, it, so
0: so your output for, when you are working in our Markdown, what's is the output format? Just straight HTML document, or is it like HTML fragment, or what's the what's the output in the YAML? Do you know?
1: Oh, it's just HTML document. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's because you, we want it. We want it to look pretty when we're looking at it. <laughs> sure, sure. And then we chop it down to be ugly, and then the website makes it like pretty again. Makes it pretty again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that's really interesting
0: too because it just shows like a, a way. You know that you can use R to both generate all these reports, but also uh, you know, like you said, you have a function, the trim HTML function, which gets rid of all the excess, which is not you know, again, if people are thinking about R as data analysis, um, you're showing a way that you can automate this process that goes way beyond, you know, the kind of data analysis I think people associate with R. Um, Are there other parts of this process that you think are um, kind of interesting or, or that we should highlight?
1: Sophia hinted at this, but I mean, I do think it's interesting. One of the key challenges with this is like the language. So do you want to unpack maybe a little bit more about how all the like narrative changes based on the data?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing you're talking about, for example, here ranks North Carolina 24th highest in the nation. I'm guessing, Sophia, you're not going in and manually typing 24th each time this updates. So yeah, do you mind just talking about how that how that works?
3: Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the kind of funnest and hardest parts of this was making sure the grammar and all these things work correctly in a parameterized do- document where the numbers were really easy because R can calculate what the biggest number is and what the smallest number is. And then we had to think through basic rules of English that we don't even think about as native English speakers about like when do you use is and when do you use R and when do you use A instead of and. And so those were all things that we Mostly embedded with like if else's in terms of if whether numbers were plural or not. With the twenty fourth, we had a North Carolina being the twenty fourth highest in the nation with COVID cases. We had a ranking where we were calculating based on the daily COVID cases from the CDC, and then we could just populate. And then again, we had to the whether it would be twenty fourth or thirty second or whatever were things that we had to think about as um, just grammar rules and programming that into R was kind of weird challenge then so. yeah so did
0: you have like a data frame that says you know in one column it's like rank and in the next column it's like i don't know what you even call that like <laughs> uh, whatever it's called like rank yeah. order like the 24th basically so it'd be you know in that row would be 24 and then the next column would be twenty fourth, and then you use that to to put that text in is that how it worked
3: I don't I think we so the twenty-four we had a column that was a rank. And I think the the th or the nd or whatever it would be, I think we had in the template itself. And so we had okay. um we were populating the variable from that column. And then we had if it ends in a four, then it's th, if it ends in a two, gotcha. then it's N D. Right. And then we would discover our errors and realize that there was a case we didn't think of and had to make one up for that too.
1: Yeah, like two versus twelve, right? Second, twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to, there's special right, cases right. always. <laughs>
0: that's that's hilarious thinking about how you have to parse English like at that very granular level to be able to write the code that implements it so it sounds natural. Um,
1: it's definitely a little bit more work the first time you do it, but now that yep. this has been going on for two years, I think that that effort is like worth it. <laughs> sort of solve the problem once and then it's solved for all times in the future. When did you, so did, when did you start,
0: um, this particular report? I mean, it says May six, but that's obviously not the first time you did it.
3: So we started this, well, the state fiscal briefs were the first sort of time that we attempted something on this level, um, yeah. and I think there had been, within the state and local finance initiative, people had wanted to have background pages on each of the states for a very long time because they, we work with states and recognize that each states have their own history and demographics and all these things really matter for the policies. Um, but it was just that project never get, went off the ground because it was so much work. And there was like a Word document of one potential page. And the idea of creating that in Word for 51 states just was insane and then also having to update it constantly i think um erin mentioned that we update these pretty often i think once a month but at first it was like okay this is something we can update once a year and already that's going to be a very heavy lift and so Mm -hmm. when i started this was something that got handed off to me and it was like okay this is like a classic like research assistant task of having to update all these pages and fill out all the numbers and but then um, once we integrated it with with R, it became so much easier, so much faster. We were able to update these much quicker um, and have information flowing much faster and also much more accurate because, I mean, having things be accurate is something that we put a high, we value a lot at Urban and <laughs> the idea of sure. having someone checking every single number once we had done it. And the, the room for human error when you have 51 of these and are checking off of PDFs and Excel files and BLS website and all these things, every single number, it would have been impossible and there would have been a lot of errors, I'm sure. And so using our Markdown made it not only quicker, but much more accurate. And we were able to pull in more information because of that and make more interesting calculations and observations.
0: Yeah. And have it be
1: much more visual, right? I mean, there's all these visualizations, which is which is really important too.
0: Yeah, let's actually talk about that in one second, but I think Sophia that's such a great point how it's not just more efficient, but it's more accurate because mm-hmm. you're automating it. I mean, obviously you have to write the code correctly and probably want to, you know, take a good look at the code that you're developing and have other people check it, but once you're you're certain that the code is is working as you intended to, you don't have to worry about those kind of copy-paste errors that always happen no, no matter how careful you are. Um
2: And let's say... Talk- if if I can just ahead, add right. something to kind of on the top of, of this of um, you know, using our markdown makes it a lot more efficient is we have another resource um in the state and local finance page, which is backgrounders and these are like similarly fact sheets about um different types of tax revenues and expenditures. and those um I think there's maybe like twenty or fifteen of them um, we do through like word or or through excel and then, we upload the HTML to, um, or yeah, up, update it in the backend of the website. And it's very cumbersome, even with just like 15 of them and we're only updating once a year, it takes several weeks and several
1: oh, wow.
2: RAs or, you know, people to be fact checking and updating numbers and, and things of that sort. So our Markdown definitely helps with making it more efficient and, um, also, like less costlier,
3: because
2: <laughs> um, yeah. you know the more people that and the more time that's spent on it, the more that they cost. So, um, I think that's like one else, another added benefit.
0: That makes a ton of sense, and and clearly you all spent a bunch of time, you know, when you first put this together, as, as you said before. But I'm curious now: do these? What's the process like for updating these? Is it fairly automatic?
2: Yeah, I, I can talk about that. <laughs> um, so I update them um, every couple weeks or so. I think now that the pandemic is, you know, slowly edging towards an endemic, um, we don't update them as often as we used to. Um, but it's very simple. Um, a lot of the numbers um, that like we pull in, I just download the spreadsheet or, you know, I call the APIs. I run some code. Um, I knit uh, one of the states to check and make sure things look okay, And then I iterate the renderings. Um, And then, like I said, I kind of push them off to the communications team so that they can upload it to the website. Um, And so it doesn't take more than half an hour. Um, Wow. So very quick. Um, I've also been doing it a lot that (laughs) it feels really easy. You know, I know where I'm going and know where to get things. but even then, we've also removed um, some data. So there there used to be more data specifically on unemployment claims, um, but we've taken those out. And so, um, you know, as more time has gone by um, and we're shifting to other priorities uh, within our center, you know, we've kind of taken a step back also and done a little less updating. Um, but a lot of the, you know, the numbers that you see are, are, are as up to date as we can find them. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think you make a good point. I mean, even though you said, you know, oh, I've been doing this for a while, so it's really quick for me. There, There's, you know, it's possible to automate this to the point where you can do it quickly. If you are doing this by hand, no matter how fast you are, it's never going to be anywhere close to half an hour. It's going to be hours and hours and hours. So um, I think that's something to important to keep in mind. Um Aaron, you, talk, you started to talk briefly about kind of how it became more visual in the data uh-huh. viz. Can you talk, like, are there ways that switching to R Markdown and parameterized reporting made it possible to be more visual? Or like, what's the relationship between the parameterized reporting and, and having the reports be more visual?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, this is true of not just parameterized reporting, but anytime you use R Markdown, ggplot2 is just right there. And so it's just such a natural fit to make dig- data visualizations instead of you know using narrative or or even creating tables or things like that. I think um, just by reducing you know, it takes it takes a long time to create a data visualization, and if you can you know get it to the point where you can iterate it as easily as what Livia just said, it makes it something that's more sustainable. You're not having to plug the data into Excel make sure your cell references are correct. There's always a cell reference error. Um, And then, you know, copy that as a PNG or whatever into the document. Maybe you have to do that eight times per state, right? That's just not sustainable. There's just such a natural fit between R Markdown and ggplot2. I I almost think of them as two tools within the, as as sort of one tool, right? Uh, They're kind of linked in my mind. Anytime I think about one, I think about the other. And so it's just such a natural fit in this application.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So you all talked about this, but um, talk about maybe just even a bit more about how much more, like if you hadn't done this in R Markdown, and it sounds like there are other kind of similar um, iterated or reports at Urban that are done in a way that doesn't involve R Markdown. Like, Can you expand a bit on, the, on the, that process and what that looks like compared to the process that you all have set up here?
2: I can talk about that and Sophia feel free to chime in because I know you've done work on the backgrounders before too um but yeah this other um um resource or product that uh, I was speaking about um you know we pull in data yearly from the census of governments um and relating to um like I mentioned tax revenues and and um different sources of tax expenditures too and um it's very time intensive. And so we have kind of assign a person per backgrounder, and then they have to go in and update all of the charts and um, if there's any tables or graphs. Um, And so pulling in the data, um, you know, from the Census of Governments dashboard that um, we have, and then uh, adding it to Excel and kind of updating it And then also updating the text and, you know, where certain numbers are referenced. And so it can be a very tedious uh, uh, process and leaves a lot of room for error as well. And so once one person has a go at it, um, we have multiple people also checking and looking at the numbers and, you know, the edits that have been made uh, to make sure that, you know, we're correctly um, calling the different (laughs) the different um uh data that's changed and so um yeah i think it's it's vastly different uh, th- that process versus using our markdown um and like i said requires a lot more people and a lot more time and even then like it has to go through multiple rounds of editing to make sure that we have everything correct and and even then we still can catch mistakes um later on and so i think it it's it's just a lot easier <laughs> with R Markdown. I think there's a, um, uh, you know, upfront there's a lot more uh, labor and time that's put into it because you're, you know, writing all the code, you're cleaning out the data so that you have everything that you need. Um, but in the long run, it's a lot faster.
0: Makes ton of sense. Uh, Aaron, you haven't convinced other everybody else at uh, Urban yet to to switch to R.
1: Uh, I've done my best. Um... So I will say, I mean, our, our use at the Urban Institute has, has gone up quite a bit in the last few years. Um, there's also been a lot of people who have done this type of perimeterized reporting. Maybe I can give a little bit of background here. Sure. Uh, I mean, the first time we did this was five or six years ago, and it was a huge lift then. A couple of things have changed that have simplified that process over time. The first one was back then there were lots of in-person convenings, and so people really wanted us to create PDFs. And anytime you have page breaks, it becomes a much bigger hassle. It looks great for Iowa. And then you go to Massachusetts and all of your page breaks are messed up, right? So, um, that was a big challenge, but we, you know, f- created a lot of LaTeX code that sort of, um, made it so that the next person who creates a template is starting from, you know, an advanced, uh, place. We also have an R package for ggplot2 called urban themes, right? So that makes all the plots consistent. Um, We have our package called Urban Templates, right? So we actually have our own sort of branded HTML documents with the associated CSS. So now that we have that, it makes things that much um, easier. So, I mean, we did this seven, eight, nine different times before we collaborated on this project together. Um, One thing, the pandemic was terrible. One thing that changed during the pandemic is that there's no more in-person convenings. Um, And so it was a much easier sell to say, hey, we can do this. At HTML, uh, and so then you're no longer fretting about page breaks, which honestly it like saves a lot of time. And then also if you're going to be doing something every two weeks, uh, you don't have to like look through the page breaks, which is not fun and also like really challenging. Um, I think there's one other thing uh, that's helped. Well, there's a lot more people at Urban that know R, that makes it a lot easier to do this, uh, which is like a huge success from the past couple of years. And then the final thing is sort of. All right, we've made these pages. They could be for states, fifty-one, but we've also made them for counties, so three thousand one hundred and forty-two. I mean, that by hand would just be entirely impossible. But there's this. Then there's this sort of question of like, oh, well, what do we do with these? And so, working with comms, we have all of that templated now. Like, we have the U.S. map landing page where you can pick a state. We have a U.S. map with a landing page where you can pick a county, and we've worked out some of this back-end stuff. So instead of having to have a bunch of meetings every time we want to do this and like figure out what are we doing now? It's like, Oh, Hey, we want to do this project again. And everyone's like, okay, we know exactly how to handle that. So, um, it's a process that's evolved and it's a, it's much simpler now than it was five years ago. Yeah.
0: That makes a ton of sense. I'll actually just say as an aside on the page break. So on the consulting side of my business, we do a lot <laughs> of parameterized reporting and a lot of clients still want PDFs and, right. um, So we we actually use the page down package. Right. um, Yeah. Oh yeah. Which has been better. I don't I don't actually know LaTeX and I've just heard horror stories from people. So I know HTML and CSS, so that's been much easier. But yeah, we had one report on, on census outreach efforts. And you know, we had maps and charts and text and with maps, like the shapes of the states all vary. And so everything, we, we had to write some custom code that would be like, if it's this state, put a page, page break before this. I mean, obviously things that you uh, are familiar with, but yes, dealing with HTML, is. I, I, I envy you <laughs> being <Yeah>. able to, <laughs> to work in HTML. And there um, are things
1: you can do with CSS to make them a little more printable. It'll never be as nice as the highly right. formatted PDF. Um, people really want that stuff to be printed. You're right. I mean it is it is envious because like that's not fun to think about. Right. And like I know that Livia and I know that Sophia and I know that everyone in TPC, like they want to focus on the content, right? They don't right. want to f- spend all their time thinking about formatting. So uh they yeah. want to spend as much time on the content. So that's that's a nice thing about the R Markdown with HTML, it's much easier.
0: Yeah. Well, let me ask then one last question, which is um, do you all have kind of advice, um, things you think about? people are considering doing parameterized reporting I mean just as an example I my my general advice for people is typically keep your data visualization simple because if you if they get too complex or if you have too many annotations you just don't know what it's going to look like when you mm-hmm. iterate it 50 or 100 times or whatever anyway I'm curious if you all having done this for a while now have things that you've come to realize are kind of best practices when doing parameterized reporting
2: well, one thing I, I don't think we've talked a lot about is kind of uh, making sure that you're aware of exceptions. Um, and in the state pages, uh, one really big one, for example, is Washington, D.C. So technically not a state, but we include it uh, as a part of our pages. So there's 51 in total. And that, because D.C., you know, it's not, the state isn't just North Carolina, It's we reference it as the District of Columbia, that um, ended up like we had to add in a lot of exceptions in our text or um, even for example instead of having a governor it has a mayor Um, and so I think that's really important when you're kind of figuring out a project that you want to use. Parameterization is to think of okay are there going to be a lot of exceptions you know or is it only few how is it going to impact the data that I want to use or the text that I want to have because that's like a big source of um our markdown file is is a, a pretty long file um right cuz they're they're in certain aspects of a budget or um data that they release you know there are these exceptions as well
0: that makes a ton of sense Aaron Sophia anything you'd add
1: uh definitely so i mean the first thing is for any parameter that you have um Definitely try sort of the shortest value and the longest value. So look at Iowa, look at the District of Columbia or Massachusetts, right? Even when you don't have page breaks, titles can get clipped in data visualizations and things like that. We work a lot with people who aren't our programmers. So you always have to sort of be the translator between their vision and sort of what gets implemented. So definitely have the people who are coming up with what the design is going to be, try and sort of create a static image of what they want things to look like. I find it's a lot easier to sort of implement a well-defined vision than it is to kind of endlessly tinker with a vision. And then when you're collaborating with someone else, some things are really easy and seem like they're easy. Some things are really hard and seem like they're hard. And then some things seem like they should be really easy, but are really hard. And so it's a conversation with the people that you're working with that may not understand everything that goes into creating the fact sheets and just being like how much are you wed to this one specific idea because it's going to be really hard and they're always like a little surprised by that but then more times they're like often surprised by like oh that part was like really easy and i thought it would be really hard so you know take the lens when you can and then try to you know avoid the really challenging things when you can
0: that makes a ton of sense sophia anything you done
3: sure i mean i think Part of parameterized reporting is the idea of copy pasting the same thing over and over. So I think I'm trying to think of your vision as like what what am I copying copying and pasting and what what are the themes throughout and what are the things that make each page distinct? And that sort of helped us think through what the template's gonna look like and what the commonalities are and where, mm-hmm. as Livia said, we want to carve out these exceptions and mm-hmm. highlight important differences. And that really helped us figure out the structure, helped us figure out how to market the whole set of pages together.
1: Yeah, and I think that I just want to piggyback on one thing there, right? Because I mentioned kind of draw out a picture of what you want it to be like. And then I often encourage people to like take a highlighter and highlight every single thing they think would change or as Sophia said, sort of copy and paste. And sometimes you're like, people realize like, oh, I'm highlighting everything. And it's like, well, (laughs) then maybe that's not like a good candidate for this tool, right? And so then they refine it to where it's like, okay, I'm only highlighting Certain words, oh, no, we have to change the TH to an ND, right? And little things like that. But that act of actually highlighting, I think, um, forces the content creators to maybe pare things down a little bit. That's
0: that is great advice. I'm thinking about that for the next time I'm working with a client who wants (laughs) to do some kind of parameterized reporting. So Um, great. Well, thanks, uh, all three of you. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and uh, look forward to sharing sharing this with uh, people to help them learn more about parameterized reporting. Thank you, David. Thanks again for listening. I hope you found this conversation interesting. Uh, If you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. David at rfortherestofus.com. Thanks.